So, Happy New Year and welcome back to Politically Speaking. Politics, I'm sure, will be on the agenda for 2022, as it has been for much of my life. Um, and in some ways, in terms of Scottish politics, 2022 marks a bit of a back to the future scenario. This year, indeed, marks the 10th anniversary of David Cameron agreeing the Section 30 order to allow the independence referendum in 2014 to happen. And when you reflect on 2012, I certainly remember the game playing that went on then with Henry McLeish being used in some ways by Alex Salmond to put forward the idea of a Devo Max question on the ballot paper. Indeed, what feels like a slightly surreal move now, I can remember that by July of 2012, Alex Salmond was calling the Devo Max question a very attractive argument. While pro-union parties were describing a second question as a trap and a desperate fallback position for the SNP, who they thought perhaps would see that as a consolation prize if they lost the referendum. Well, we're used to contrariness in Scottish politics, but it seems in some ways we're now seeing a complete reversal of those original 2012 positions, with the SNP arguing for a straight yes-no option and Labour seeing perhaps the attraction of a Devo Max question. Much has happened in the intervening years, not least perhaps the SNP believing that they have a more realistic hope of winning a yes-no referendum, whereas in 2011 that seemed less likely and they were perhaps not prepared for either the majority they won in 2011 or what that meant in being forced into a referendum perhaps too early. Today I'm joined by SNP President Mike Russell former Labour MSP Neil Finlay and the academic Professor James Mitchell to choose some of this over. James, I'm going to come to you first because suspect with Mike and Neil, you might not get a word in, but we're, <laughs> we're quite used to the Constitution dominating our politics. But the last week has been overshadowed by a surprisingly febrile discussion about the ins and outs of Devo Max, not least what it means and this basically follows a piece written by the former SNP policy chief, Chris Hanlon. Hanlon then found himself being attacked from all sides, but particularly from within his own party. Uh, indeed, he was being accused of being an Alba pawn, which seems to be the gravest of insults within the SNP at the moment. Why do you think this provoked such a strong reaction? Well, I think if you look over um, time at the idea of a third option on uh, in a referendum, I mean, all the parties but one has been uh, a supporter of it at some page stage in time. And ultimately, I think we need to try and understand and explain why that has been the case. And I tend to think it's a bit like the way parties support or oppose electoral reform. They do so when it's in their interests. Um, and it's very interesting that, you know, if you go far enough back to even to the 1960s, uh, you know, the Liberals were proposing a four option referendum in the 1970s. You had Norman Buchan, the left wing Labour MP, saying that independence should be on the ballot paper along with devolution. Lord Hume of the Herschel actually supported that in the House of Lords. And then, of course, we had that famous occasion around about 1992 when we had Scotland United that Michael will remember well advocating a, a multi-option referendum. Indeed, that was the whole purpose of, uh, of Scotland United. Um, and so, you know, what we see across the piece over, over years, over decades, is that support from a political party for three options on the ballot paper arises when they think it's in their interest and they will oppose it when they're against it. I say there's one party, this Conservative Party, albeit that Lord Hume himself supported this, that's been consistently opposed. And that's no great surprise. So party interest, I always think, drives these things. And as you say, 
back in, in 2011, um, you know, support for independence was very low, certainly as compared to what happened in the actual 2014 referendum. And so in a sense, it's a sh- an insurance policy. There were people in the SNP who were keen on this. And I remember actually many conversations around that time with key figures outside the SNP. People like Campbell Christie was a great advocate of, of a, a third option. Uh, ben Thompson, of course, was a big advocate. And I see he's recently written a book on home rule, so pushing for that option. Um, so I think that's part, that's the largely the explanation. And last week, obviously, that piece uh, by, by Chris Hanlon, who I think, in fairness, is, is, is not a central figure in the SNP these days, was articulating his own view that he felt it was a way to break the deadlock, was the phrase that he used. But as you say, I think the most interesting thing, rather than his uh, proposal, was the reaction. And it was extraordinary, actually. I, I was really very surprised to see one SNP minister saying it was idiotic, foolish, nonsensical. Um, and another SNP MSP uh, from the North East behaving like King Canute saying, it will not over my bed body type style. Um, so, so there's clearly what is clearly the case is it provokes a strong reaction. People feel very strongly. Um, and there are people in the SNP who genuinely believe that this is, on the one hand, some of them believe at least, that this is a genuine attempt to undermine independence. And others recognise, uh, and I think it's certainly the case, that it would certainly make it less likely that, that uh, there'd be a clear majority for either independence or the status quo. Having that extra choice really opens up the debate in a way that it hasn't been. And, and, and actually, that's where I think Chris Hanlon has a point. Uh, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but I think there is something to be examined as to whether, in fact, it would break the deadlock. Because we're actually in a deadlock. Looking back over the last year at the opinion polls, I think we've had over 50 polls, and you know most of them have had a majority for, for no, but very small majority. And I think it'd be very uncomfortable for either the SNP or the Tories to agree to a referendum at the moment. That's why I don't think there's likely to be one anytime soon. So uh, that explains, I think, what's been going on. Party interest is the key, um, and that's understandable. That's what you would expect in politics. So, so Mike, why was there such a strong reaction? I mean, I think from what <laughs> things that I've seen Chris Hanlon say since, he hadn't quite expected the reaction that he got. Um, but it has certainly brought about a debate and a discussion and isn't there a point that it helps tease out well what is Devo Max um, and gets rid of it so that once you get into a proper campaign people understand what that is and either reject it or whatever. Yeah I mean I, I, I'm not critical of Chris Hannon I like Chris Hannon I've worked well with him I, you know I think he's he's a thinking person I think he was uh, surprised by the reaction to it um, but I, I think it's quite fair to be, discuss it but I regard it as a thoroughly bad idea these days for a variety of reasons because things have changed profoundly. Um, I think I've heard James argue in, in another context, and I wouldn't agree with him on that, but unless I would agree with him, it is time for to move on. It, it is time to stop you know, allowing the Constitution to be the obstacle to everything that we want to achieve. Now, I think, unlike James's position, I'm not trying to speak for James, but James, I've seen argue this, unlike James, I think you require... Uh, an independence referendum to break that deadlock. I think that that's where we are and I think that's what we should try and have. There is no successful record of multi-option referendums in this area. You can look at Newfoundland in 1948. It's not quite the same, but you know it, it was a very, very confused and very lengthy process. Not quite as lengthy as the process we've been in, but it's been a lengthy process. But I see no prospect of it happening in this way. And I suppose that's the, the biggest argument of all. 
I mean, I, I spent five years working or negotiating with, I suppose would be the polite way to put it, the current UK government and its predecessor. They are more entrenched in the idea of Westminster sovereignty than any other government has ever been, I suspect. It is, I, I described it in a piece at the weekend, a quasi-sacred uh, issue for them. Uh, it, to have a multi-option referendum that delivered, and this is Chris's argument, an entrenched Scottish Parliament and an unchangeable constitutional settlement is simply not going to happen. What has happened south of the border is that the issue of Westminster sovereignty has been has become utterly totemic. And the idea that you would give, you would break that, and you would have to break it in order to have that entrenchment, it isn't going to happen. And without that, as essentially the offering, this is a chimera. So I think we should get on and have the, uh, the referendum we need to have, the choice that we need to have, and to have that debate, and to have the choice that the people of Scotland have asked for, because the Scottish Parliament has a majority for a referendum on independence. There is no doubt about that. So we should have that, and that respects what exists in the Parliament, the will of the Scottish people, and then I'm willing to contend within that. I mean, Neil, Labour's position in the Constitution um, has been a difficult one, and you've seen the damage that it's done to the party. You're now arguing for a Devo Max question and that position for the party. Why, would you, why do you need a referendum to do that? Why doesn't the party just continue to campaign for more powers for a parliament that already exists? Uh, Manny, I'm not arguing for that now. I've been arguing that the entire time that I was in Parliament. And, uh, you know, in the referendum in 2014, prior to that, I argued that case consistently. We have a group, long-established group set up, uh, the Red Paper Collective, that has done a lot of work, published books, published many publications, we have a website, we've done a lot of work on uh, the the issue of Devo Max. Um, so my position is long-standing. And during the independence referendum, I spoke at 65 public meetings putting the case for that Devo Max position. And when you did put it, when I did put it, people would come up afterwards and say, well, why are Labour not putting that forward as their position? And that was the most frustrating point, that that should have been an option. That should have been a, a properly worked up, developed option uh, to be on the ballot in that referendum. And had it been so, I think we would have won and won fairly handsomely. Now, Mike says that you can't, uh, this simply is not a, a feasible option. Well, actually, it is a feasible option, very feasible option, because when you think about it, um, holding the referendum in that this way is pretty similar to the referendum that was held to establish the Scottish Parliament in the first place. You ask an initial question whether you want, in this case, do you want constitutional change, yes or no? And then once you've established that, you then ask if it's independence or Devo Max. Fairly straightforward, fairly simple from my point of view. Now, you also said, Mandy, that uh, Chris Hanlon was roundly attacked by all sides. He actually wasn't attacked by the people who are arguing for my position. In fact, we put our hand out to welcome what he said. And actually, I, I've tried. And if Mike can help me to provide me with Chris's contact details, I will personally contact him to open up that discussion because I warmly welcome his input. And I think people, not just Chris, but people who have been involved in the likes of RISE, people involved in trade unions, people in various other uh, um, sort of walks of life, are now looking at this and saying, look at look at some of the reaction in the media from people like Neil Mackay and, and Ian McWhirter and others who are actually willing, Kevin McKenna, you know, a low dismissive of it, uh, you know, in, in the end, 
but said that this is something that should be discussed, and so it should. I wouldn't want to misrepresent Chris Hanlon's position because I don't know if either of either or any of you have written, uh, read exactly what he said. But I watched an interview with him this morning where he basically agrees with what Mike says, that it should be a yes-no referendum. All he was trying to do was bring up the issue so that it can tease out, if you like, any unionist traps. <laughs> so, Andy, can I, say, can I say on that, right, for my position, this is not a, a, a trap, it's not a fix, it's not a game it's my long-held position that we're in, that it's in the best interests of Scotland, the people of Scotland, um, that we, in my view, devolve all powers. That we that it makes sense to devolve to the Scottish Parliament all powers that it makes sense to do so. And where there's not an overwhelming reason to devolve those powers, we leave them where they are. That's my argument. And, and that is a very respectable position, and it's one held, for example, by somebody with... First time you've ever called me respectable, Mike. Well, well I'm, I'm trying to be nice to you, Neil. I mean, I've turned over a new leaf since I retired. Um, uh, it's, it's a position held by my somebody I'm perhaps closer to in the Labour movement than to you, uh, by, by Mark Drakeford, you know, who I worked with very closely over a number of years. Mark's position on this, I entirely respect. I don't agree with it, but I entirely respect it. That he says that you know, he wants the union to continue but he wants sovereignty essentially within each of the parts of the union. He's argued this very cogently and that they should be, they should willingly pool that sovereignty as part of the union of these islands. Now I can fully understand it. I believe that sovereign independence, so to speak, is better for Scotland than that, but it's not going to happen at Westminster as long as Westminster maintains its view of, of sovereignty. And that view is not held simply by the Tories. It is held by the Labour Party too. So I do not see any prospect of the, that type of change taking place. And therefore, we would enter into, if we entered into this argument, it, into more years of seeking something that is not going to happen. I think it's far better that we are clear about that and we move on to make a decision about the real choice that exists for Scotland. James, isn't part of the problem that nobody actually understands what Devo Max is, other than the people that are discussing it at a particular moment in time? Well, I think it's even worse than that in some ways, and that is that there's such a huge range of options between what we have now and independence. So there are many forms of Devo Max. And one of the things I think that will need to be clarified before you could have a referendum is what is meant by Devo Max. There needs to be something around which people can rally. There needs to be, if you like, the equivalent of white paper. And I think all sides, if you're putting forward any option for change, it needs to be clear and unambiguous. And so far as is possible to be able to foresee some of the consequences of that. We don't want to have another Brexit-type referendum where we end up with something and within no time at all, things that are highly predictable suddenly hit us. So we do need to have that. And I think it's incumbent on both sides of the, this debate, and in terms of those who want change, that is, that they articulate and clearly define that. Now, what is really, that's up to the Labour Party, I think. And, you know, I don't know what will emerge, but certainly there have been some reports suggesting that Gordon Brown's commission is going to come up with a pretty bold and radical set of suggestions. I don't know. It's certainly the case that the group that Neil's been involved with has done that. And I actually think that the, the report that was produced by the young lawyer um, for, for, um, for, for the previously to the Labour Party is, even if you don't agree with it, a truly stimulating read. It's a really interesting and 
important document and, and, and it should stimulate debate, even if you don't agree with it. And I think that's important. It is not difficult, frankly, to conceive of an alternative, indeed alternatives plural, to independence of the status quo. The difficulty is one, reaching agreement on what it should be, to then filling it out with detail. But the same also applies to independence because, you know, the independence white paper is now redundant. That's that's no longer relevant for the very good reasons that the SNP have called for another referendum, and that's because things have changed. Brexit alters the situation enormously, and so I think that would have to be addressed. That, and I'm not saying it can't be done, but that would have to be done. So it's incumbent on all of them to, to say what's about what they're all about. And I have to say, I've kind of focused more on the, 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 the problems and challenges for the Devo Max position, but for the independence position, they've really got to get their act together here because we're getting very, very mixed signals, contradictory messages from the SNP. We get the Growth Commission, then we get the Social Justice Commission. These, frankly, do yeah. not add up. They do not add up. It's dishonest to pretend that they do. It's dishonest to pretend that they do. I knew, we get, I knew we get to this stage, and uh, of course they add up, because <clears throat> what I am arguing, certainly, and I think it's very germane to argue it here, uh, and if James stops shaking his head, I will try and give him an argument to see if I can get him to agree to it, or at least to understand what I'm saying before. I, you know, disagreeing before I've actually said it is, a, is perhaps a new development, but not, not necessarily in this context. It is entirely fair to argue a range of things about independence, because what people will choose after we have got the choice of independence, is the type of government they wish to live under and the way in which they, the, the key issue is being able to do that without being gainsaid. And what James has not addressed in anything that he's said, and with the greatest respect, I would be very keen to hear it, how do you break the logjam of Westminster sovereignty? That requires somebody else to do it, not for it to be done in Scotland. And ipso facto, that is the problem. Because if you can't break that logjam, all of this is merely worse. Can I just come back to the, the point that I was making? I mean, I think one of the things that's really important that's guided my thinking has been the work of the Council of Europe on democracy through law. They've produced a series of reports and recommendations on how a good electoral system should work, how good referendums. And in their 2020 report, the most recent report recommendations on referendums, make it very clear that multi-option referendums are a good idea. They don't say they have to be used, but there is no reason why they shouldn't. And coming back to something Mike said, it's simply not the case that we only had the newfounded referendum. There have been over a hundred examples of multi-option referendums. And there's some fantastic research has been done on this and how to make sure they work and get a clear result. Now, the Commission, the Venice Commission, has made it absolutely clear that you cannot go into a referendum making contradictory positions. And that's what we've got. It just doesn't add up. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't have one or other position, but when you go into a referendum, the public are entitled to know what will happen afterwards. Now, that's equally true for, for Devo Max. Now, on sovereignty, <clears throat> there's no doubt at all there is an element that's currently dominant in UK politics, in the Conservative Party, that's wedded to this myth, and it is a myth, of parliamentary sovereignty. But I don't think that's going to go there, be there for long. In my career, in my life, and it's, I've been studying this for 40-plus years, I can tell you I have never known the myth to either be both 
uppermost amongst the elite, but also more challenged by the alternatives. We are now hearing people looking at constitutional reform across the UK as we've never had before, not just in Scotland, but in Wales. In many respects, I think the Welsh Labour Party is well ahead of the Labour Party in Scotland on this, but also speak to people in the regions of England and hear what they're saying. There's a real challenge building up. And the truth of the matter is, Where I think we desperately need change, it's not necessarily in Scotland or Wales or even in the regions of England. We need to radically change the House of Commons, the House of Lords, Whitehall, the Westminster system. Because, you know, regardless of your constitutional position, even if you're independent, you're going to be affected by what is happening down there. And it's a great myth that if you're an independent country, you can cut off and you won't be affected by that. I'd like to see more discussion of how we engage with London, not the kind of crude, simplistic, one-dimensional intergovernmental stuff that many people go on about but the real changes that are required to ensure we've got strong voices for the component parts of the UK where it counts. Because at the end of the day, you know, your constitutional position in Scotland is important, but ultimately that will still drive things. And if that myth of of sovereignty is still in the command of of people like Boris Johnson, we've all got problems. Neil, you're desperate to come in. And of course, Mandy, we, we, James has listed a whole range of institutions that need reform, and I think we need major reform in the Scottish Parliament as well. And um, because if we look at the way in which local uh, local government has been treated in Scotland, it has been an absolute scandal how local government has been treated. And uh, we need to, whatever way we take things forward, we need to enshrine some rights in in the form of local government to give power to local authorities to, do, to, to authorities to do what they want to do to deliver for their communities and not be, you know, overridden by ministers in uh, 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 Holyrood. And Mike mentions uh, sovereignty. Well, of course, sovereignty is a huge issue and it needs to be addressed, but it has to be addressed by all sides because the first thing Mike wants to do with sovereignty is give it away to the European Union. Now, that might be something that the people of Scotland want, but it might be something they don't want. Therefore, in any proposition that's put forward, that has to be put forward clearly and it has to be tested. And also the reality is, the reality of the world just now is that sovereignty is shared. Sovereignty is shared in, in many different ways. And I think what would happen uh, immediately if there was an independent Scotland is that you would have to start to set up common frameworks, as Mike is very familiar with, that he did for um, during the, the, the Brexit negotiations, where you would actually be handing powers back and sharing those powers So therefore, I think that's the inevitable outcome, that sovereignty is shared. That's the reality of the modern world. I am surprised that anybody can hear. I'm surprised that anybody can hear anything on this with the number of squirrels that are now running around these studios. (laughs) This is all avoiding the issues. It's astonishing, actually, the capability of the Scottish political class, so to speak, to avoid the issue. You know, we're, we're now ranging over all sorts of things instead of focusing on whether you can have, should have a choice between independence and whatever the status quo is. That is the issue. That is the issue that dominated Scottish politics virtually since the last referendum. It remains the issue to be resolved. But of course, there are many people who do not wish to resolve it. And I respect some of their positions. But we're back again in that. The squirrels are all over this. And frankly, I'm tired of squirrels. I've spent the last five years with debating and discussing with London. I want an end to this. And the end to this will come when people get to make the choice that they have have decided they wish to make. 
not just follow the squirrels around. Andy, you wanted to ask me a question. To be fair, Mike, the biggest... Well, to be fair, Mike, I think the biggest squirrel that was thrown, if you like, on the table last week was this Devo Max uh, discussion. And at the end of the day, that a lot of debate around that has been that the SNP have created a vacuum around the constitutional question uh, that we've not been allowed to discuss what independence course, might of course, mean. Of course, I mean, on the one hand, they're being criticised, the SNP is being criticised for being all over the place. On the other hand, we're being criticised for not allowing there to be a discussion. Look, I understand that people want to criticise the existing government. I'm not a member of that existing government, but I do support them. But what I don't understand is the reluctance to say, you know, let's get on with this and let's get ourselves behind having that referendum on the choice that the people of Scotland have asked for. And that seems a simple enough matter to me. And it, it just baffles me. Well, it doesn't baffle me because I think there's lots of motivations behind it. But it, it's what we need to do. Now, I accept I have no idea why... Chris Hanlon produced this out of nowhere. And I have every respect for Chris and he's entitled to do so. But I want to focus on getting this done and particularly getting it done in very difficult circumstances because like it or not, and none of us do like it, the pandemic has affected everything we do. How we look at the world, how we relate to each other, how we have these discussions. Uh, we're in a very, very difficult and, uh, and pressured time. And I think we should try to plan carefully and constructively for that choice to be made, knowing that when that choice is made, then the things will flow from whatever that decision. I'll come back to Neil on Devo Max in a minute then. But to be fair, Mike, it's not other parties that are being accused of marching their troops up and down a hill wanting an independence referendum. Nobody's been marching up and down a hill. Yes, there was we've a had pandemic. Uh, there was a pandemic. I, mean, I, I was I, about I, to say, there's been a pandemic. I find it astonishing that you know, you've bought into a narrative which I simply find ridiculous. I'm sorry. No, no, I haven't, 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 haven't bought into a narrative, Mike, but we've had an election during a pandemic. We're about to go into local government elections. Are very there are, perhaps there's never been a better time to have and an perhaps, independence referendum not perhaps, when things are so awful. You cannot have the type of face-to-face -face conversion debate that you need to have in the middle of a pandemic, nor should you have, frankly. But you can have an election. Yes, of course, because an election was entirely different. And even the election was something that we took a lot of time and effort to prepare for. No, it's, it's the wrong time to have it. You need to get this pandemic over with. It's not. And we know that that's what people think. We know from all the opinion sampling, that's what people think. They want the pandemic to be the priority now. It would be ridiculous and counterproductive to do anything else. I mean, and that, that's quite can clearly I, what... Can I, can I, can I, is anybody arguing that we should have it? Well, the man is just arguing. It's squirrels. There seems to be a massive squirrel or dead cat that's been thrown on uh, the table. No, I don't know if anybody who's arguing for a referendum during this no, pandemic. Who's arguing for that? Let's get back to the substantive issues which are still not being addressed. One... Do you believe in choice? No one is saying that there shouldn't be an opportunity to have a referendum in which independence is on the ballot paper. Now, you think that I'm against that. I'm not against that. But my concern is that limits the choice. And there is a massive range of options. And I look to the Labour Party it's, and I criticise the Labour Party for failing to offer that choice coherently and clearly. Now, I think they should be doing that You're and not, not saying there should be a referendum at all immediately. Far from it. And I don't know, maybe Neil is, maybe Mandy is. But sure. let's push that squirrel or whatever you want to call it aside. Well, let's just um, Labour is not, not a political leader. 
Labour's not offering that. That is the referendum. Labour's not offering it. The Tories aren't offering it. Nobody's offering it. But you want it. It's bizarre. No, no. The Labour Party is certainly, as I understand it, and certainly from what I've heard and spoken to many people involved, they are seriously looking at a third option. Whether they want to put it to a referendum is another matter. I would expect they would have to. I don't think you could simply have more powers, extensive more powers, without a referendum. And I think it would be absurd to have another referendum on just more powers, even though that wasn't in the referendum back in 2014. I mean, in a sense, you could argue that independence has had its chance and actually that ship has sailed, frankly. But in reality, I think circumstances have changed and it would be absurd not to include an independence option on the ballot paper. When and if Labour gets its act together and does produce, as I'm told, they are in the process of doing. But Neil's much more likely to know the answer to that, a, a, a Devo Max or whatever you want to call it, option. So that I was going to come to Neil on this. Neil, I mean, James earlier described what Gordon Brown might come up with as being very exciting. I mean, Gordon Brown was also the signatory to the vow and, and arguably won you the no vote. Do you think Gordon Brown's going to come up with something interesting, exciting? Hey, uh, I don't know. I, I ho- certainly hope so. Um, but um, whether he does or not, we will continue with our um, proposals, which are um, to have powers for a purpose to radically change Scotland. Let me tell you the last thing I want, Mandy. The last thing I want is a neoliberal Scotland under Boris Johnson to, re- to be replaced by a neoliberal Scotland that is independent. That's the last thing I want. I want radical progressive change. Now, I, I personally, I've long argued that the way in which that can be delivered is through a Devo Max option. But I think today, the, you know, my wish for the, the debate uh, as it goes forward is that it, be, it is an inclusive debate. It's a calm, it's a rational debate about the future of our country. And I think, I have to say, the way in which Mike's getting so animated about that kind of tends me to think that he's a bit afraid that this option has grown in credibility and is and is a real got potential to be on the ballot paper. And my, my main question is, why are you so afraid of extending democracy, mate? Why are you so afraid of giving the voters another choice? Can you imagine if there was a referendum cooked up that said the choice is between the status quo or Devo Max and independence is being kept off the ballot paper. Can you imagine the outcry? And yet, all of the polling suggests that there are many people in the country, I think a a, a significant uh, number over the three options, who would select a Devo Max option rather than the other two if they were asked. Why do you want people like that, their voice, to be forced into taking... To, to be forced into taking one option in a binary choice, why don't you want me, me, my view to be expressed through that referendum? I'm happy to give you four reasons why I think it's a, a bad reason, and some will be political, as James has indicated, and some will be uh, practical. The first one is I, I disagree with James actually on the issue of whether or not uh, a referendum is necessary. If, if Labour uh, wishes to see a major improvement in the powers available to the Scottish Parliament, they should propose them. And having proposed them, 
um, they then should say that they will legislate for them immediately that they come to power. That would be clear, and they can just publish those. They don't need a, a, a referendum on them. Uh, the second one I have to say is that I think Scott, there's a tendency for people to settle for second best, particularly when they're subject to a constant barrage of, of anti-independence propaganda. And I, I wrote a piece at the weekend in which I made it clear that I thought that this was yet another example of the national movement as its own worst enemy, capitulating to hectoring opposition demands for a, a plan B, sometimes even demanding of himself instead of, instead of going for what would work for them. A Westminster sovereignty is the third reason. I see absolutely no indication whatsoever that that will be changed. It hasn't been changed uh, since the start of devolution because, of course, uh, what we've seen is the ability to undermine the Scottish Parliament, and that will continue, and nothing will change in that. And therefore, if you're arguing for an entrenched Parliament, that will not happen. And finally, Devomax does not deliver on what I would regard as the key issues. It wouldn't allow Scotland to rejoin the EU. It wouldn't permit us to close our borders in a pandemic. It wouldn't secure the removal of nuclear weapons. It would not guarantee that all the resources of Scotland benefit all the people of Scotland. It would not make certain that those who spoke for Scotland were always elected by her. And in all those circumstances, therefore, it fails all those tests. And as it fails all those tests, then I'm afraid I think what she was doing is saying to the people of Scotland, that is what we what we is being proposed. That answers the questions. No element of devolution answers those questions. And of course, we haven't seen what Gordon Brown comes up with. This will be yet another, you know, tablets of stone will be brought to us by the great Gordon Brown. This isn't the way in which democracy works. People have voted for a parliament that supports a referendum on independence. That is what should take place. And every week, day, hour that passes, that that does not happen uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that there is no barrier to it, then that is an affront to, to democracy. I, I was just going to come in just to say on polling, on the question, I mean, Mark Diffley has done polling on it. And overwhelmingly, I mean, 70% of people wanted the question to be as it was in 2014. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's probably inevitable, uh, Mandy, because the, the one thing that has not been done is a major public campaign to you know educate the public on what Devomax is. And of course, that can't be done until it's been worked up. So I think there is um, inevitably a lot of um, misunderstanding or ignorance in the community, simply because it's not been debated to the extent that, that the other two options have. And I think that's simply inevitable. Um, but uh, I think... You know, once that program is developed, when people once people start hearing what it would be, I think then things would significantly change. And when the polls have been put out about what uh, the choice between the three options, Devo Max is winning. It, Neil, if it was a yes/no referendum, what would Labour's position be this time round? Do you think, Mandy? Please don't assume that I have any insight into the uh, views and opinions of the Scottish Labour leadership. Um, you're uh, that's that is fantasy, I have to say. But um, it, my my view uh, is it would obviously depend on what the proposition was put in terms of the independence proposition. Because as I've said earlier, I certainly don't want a neoliberal uh, UK replaced by a neoliberal independent Scotland. That that would certainly be a backward step uh, in my view. Um, Mike has previously written about his love for that kind of 
Um, well, it was a new union he used to champion, but he, you know, I, I, I accept Mike wanted um, vouchers for education and to privatise the NHS and privatise the civil service. That was that was his view. He's written about that extensively. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, that's not my view. Oh, that's not my view. What's, that's not my view on what Scotland should look like. Yeah, Scotland yeah. should be a progressive, inclusive. We should be eradicating poverty. We should be funding public services. We should have fair taxation. We should have all of that, um, but that's 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 for others to dictate what they think their view of uh, whether it be an independent Scotland or Devo Max should look like. So, j- just focusing then on on why we came together to talk about all of this today, anyway. I mean, in terms of the Labour Party, Neil, and I know you're saying you're not speaking for the Labour Party as such, but. Isn't it just anything to the SNP and independence? I mean, we've now got Keir Starmer talking about can- Labour candidates potentially being pro-independence. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, this is the most frustrating part of this, Mandy, that since 1999, the Labour Party has been posted missing on the constitutional uh, question. It is the most frustrating issue for me because what's happening at the moment is all the rules of normal politics are cast aside. All accountability, all the bad decisions that in normal times, in normal countries, people are held to account for, are being bypassed because there's a fixation and domination of the constitutional debate. If we look in every corner of our public services, they are on their knees. Local government's on its knees. There's major problems in the education service, the health service, the social care service are teetering on the brink. And yet the Scottish government get away with it week in, week out, because what they default to is it's someone else's fault. It's not our fault because we don't have the powers. And I I think that's where Labour has been completely missing on this. We should have been for a long time putting forward a credible alternative to independence based on Devo Max. Now, you know, I think some senior Labour people are absolutely died in the wool against any of that. But I think others, and, and many of the membership, many of the membership and the trade unions are very much uh, more um, more keen on that direction of travel. And uh, I think it's time for the members and the affiliates to to, to basically dictate the, uh, to the leadership that we need progressive change on this the thing is you've you've just kept losing elections Absolutely. so you haven't you haven't got the power to do the things that you're saying i mean james at the end of the day is it all too late really i mean are we in this situation where there is no real opposition to the smp in government but there's also at the moment perhaps not a real prospect of an independence referendum being won by the yes side i, I wouldn't say anything it's too late. I mean, anything could happen between now and you know next over the next few years. I mean, it, so 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 I think those people who have strong views on any of these issues could, should continue to hold them. I mean, I think it's certainly the case that um, Labour has failed to articulate a clear position and a consistent position and a detailed position as an alternative. 
Um, and there's no doubt at all that within the Labour Party there are many people who have got um, pretty clear positions, uh, principled positions. My, you know, my old friend Campbell Christie, I mean, I almost remember many conversations over many, many years, if not decades, with him on what he felt needed to be done. And I remember around about the time of 2010-11 having conversations on that. So it's, it goes deep. And it actually, interestingly, in the Labour movement, it goes deeper than the Labour Party. It's the trade unions that have been really consistent and really interesting on this over over a long period of time i mean i i think the, the you're right that, that that you know one of the things about the current politics of scotland because of the dominance of the constitutional question is the other issues which i think would damage the snp um are are kind of secondary and and you know that's a problem. You know, people in the Labour Party often complain that we're not talking enough about X, Y and Z. Well, the way we might be able to move on, and this is where I think Neil and uh, uh, and his colleagues have a point, and actually probably even Mike would agree with, is that we need to break this deadlock and perhaps a referendum is the way to do it. Now, you know, if that is the case, you're going to have to find a way of getting that referendum. And that, I think, it isn't likely to happen unless and until London agrees to it. Um, and, and you know, that's difficult. And it's certainly going to happen so long as it's just the SNP arguing for it. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not impossible to see a way forward, but it will take political parties to kind of actually mature a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mature? Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would, ent- I would agree that you know, I think we could all agree that we need to break the logjam in Scottish politics. We're not the only country that has a logjam in politics. I mean, divisiveness is, and and division have been common, you know, essentially and are common now um, across developed democracies. We need to find a way to break this particular logjam. They differ in, in, in perhaps in reasons and 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 in um, and in outcomes, but we need to find a way to break that. And, and by to do so, we need to put this the question of independence to the test again uh, because of the changed circumstances, because of the issues of Brexit, and to move on from them. Um, and I hope we could find a way to do that. Uh, you know, I mean, some of this discussion today has indicated that we're mired in, you know, Neil, Neil has been making sort of accusations about me for 10 years. I mean, I have to say that uh, they're about as accurate then as they were uh, it now as they were then. So what you do is you move on. You try and find common ground. You try and find ways to people to work together. If I thought for a moment that you know that would be found in a multi-option referendum, I would treat it more seriously. I just don't think it will, because I think one of the biggest problems in division is that there is a a huge diver- a, a divergence between the politics, politics north and south of the border. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things I've I've said to at least two people on this program before this discussion before one of the things that really struck me. The last time I gave evidence to a Westminster committee, to the to 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 the to the Constitution Committee, was the lack of knowledge and understanding of what devolution was, how it had come about, and what constitutional settlement we lived under. Because almost everybody on that committee, with the exception, I think, of Mundell and and, and the former Secretary of State for Wales, had been elected in fifteen or seventeen or nineteen. And actually, they thought devolution had come about because the SNP had insisted upon it. It was a, a, a ruse to, to produce independence. And you know, the, we really do need to recognize the huge gulf that now exists in the politics between those two places and find some way of moving on from that. Because when we pretend that that, that does not exist, or we pretend that that can be papered over in some way, we're actually making things worse. 
Neil, you wanted to come yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Mike. I, I wasn't accusing you of anything. I was only quoting from your book, but oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. minor issue. Oh, um, I, I think we would all agree. We would <laughs> all agree that we do not want. We do not want in any any referendum is a fifty. We do not want a fifty-one forty-nine division in the country because that will just be. I think that would set any whatever happens in the referendum. It would make the ongoing situation absolutely hellish. And I think, I would hope that we all agree on that. Um, if we look at the situation in Wales, it's very interesting. And, and indeed, Mandy, I wrote, the, I wrote the column for the magazine uh, on this very issue. Because I think there's a level of political maturity in Wales that just doesn't exist in Scotland at the moment, where the commission that Mark Drakeford set up is a very broad-based commission, very inclusive, uh, looking at the constitutional position there, um, bringing on people from different parties, people who have been his direct opponents uh, into that commission to look at the future of the Constitution. Now, I think we're a million miles away from being able to do that in Scotland. Um, I don't think there was any criticism in that commission that it was a sort of hand-picked bunch of lackeys um, that, that, that Mark Drakeford's put forward. I think it's a very serious piece of work, and yet we're nowhere near that in Scotland. I think, I think it's pretty inconceivable that it would even happen. Um, and if we actually look further, Nicola Sturgeon would want the referendum to happen when she thinks she can win. Boris Johnson, or whoever it is, ain't going to agree to any referendum, particularly if they think the SNP could win. So in actual fact, if you look at it in that um, light, the most likely um, opportunity for a referendum would be if there was a Labour government. <laughs> a Labour government committed to constitutional change with a third option on the ballot paper, because Labour, I could not see under the current regime, or even the past regime, uh, agreeing to any referendum that didn't have a third option on the ballot paper. I just think that's inconceivable. So, I, I, you know, that, that's really where we are. And until that logjam breaks, we're in this constitutional deadlock that will mean that political accountability for bad decision-making is obscured by the constitutional argument. And I think that's a thoroughly, thoroughly depressing state of affairs. Well, Neil, as the only person on this programme that wasn't included in your column as being a member of your fantasy constitutional commission, I'll just come to all of you separately. Mike, how do you think that logjam, given everything Neil's just said as well about whether a UK government would would uh, would allow a referendum. I mean, how do we break the long term? Very significant that the Labour government would not allow a referendum. That's really, really fascinating, isn't it? Because that gives the lie to 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 to, to what is often being said. I think Neil was saying to, that a Labour uh, government yeah, would. Uh, well, you know, there is a Scottish Parliament majority for passing a bill uh, which has been published in draft form. Uh, you know, I published it before I left. Um, which could be the basis for the referendum taking place. That is where the majority lies. That is what happens in a democracy. That is what should take place. Of course, I am happy to discuss other issues. Uh, and of course, we should discuss other issues. And therefore, Chris Hanlon may have done us a service. You know, but that's what the, present, the reality of the present situation. 
And I think the reality of the present situation also says that the barrier of Westminster sovereignty is so great. Uh, and, and I think James was not in the call very briefly when I was trying to outline the reasons why I was against Devo Max and the practical reasons in terms of what a parliament and the state could do and what it couldn't do under devolution. I think in all those circumstances, I want to see that bill through. I want to see that referendum take place. And the means just to remind people that it happens is you pass the bill and you begin to organise a referendum and you say to the UK, sorry, if you don't like that, you'll have to take us. And, and just before I move on to Neil and James, would you be absolutely stuck on a position that this needs to be a yes, no referendum? I, I believe that that will produce the result that we need to have. And that's what I want to do. I do not believe devolution in any form, produces the result that Scotland needs to recover from the pandemic, because there is a range of things we need to do, including rejoining the EU, which we could not do if we were simply devolved, no matter what devomax means. Similarly, Neil, I mean, do you think there is a way out of this? Actually, Mandy, you know, you mentioned Scotland United uh, back in the conversation, and I actually think that uh, there's an opportunity for us to go down that route again. That actually, um, what we should be doing in Scotland is for those who, and I take the broadest definition of the left in Scotland, for those of us on the progressive end of politics, then we should be uniting against the uh, horrendous policies that we see coming from Westminster. And I have to say some of them coming from within Scotland also, but we should be uniting a broad agreement that we have a progressive direction of politics, and that if we can agree that a future referendum should be have a third option on it, then we can all keep our position that we've had all our most of our adult lives, whether we support independence, whether we support Devo Max, we can keep that position, but we can actually actually start to work together to oppose and to develop on to oppose um, Tory imposition the policy, but also to develop a progressive alternative in Scotland. Now that would be that would be refreshing. That would be dynamic. That would be new. That would be something that would break the logjam. And actually, you know, I look at people in uh, you know across the political spectrum. There's people like Jim Sillers who I hugely respect. I think. You know, I think I've got more in common with the politics of Jim Sillers than probably Mike has. And I don't say that to have a go at Mike. I just think that's the reality of it. And I could work with him with an agreement that says, you can have your position on independence. I can have minds on Devo Max, but let's start to introduce class politics again into the discussion. And, And I think that's what we should be doing in Scotland rather than constantly fighting this battle that allows bad decision-making uh, from both governments to uh, uh, to be obscured. Uh, James might correct me on this, but if we want to reflect back on Scotland United, I think it, there was a rally back in the late 80s when the whole point was to do what Neil has talked about and call out Tory politics on Scotland. And I think it was our first minister at that point whose speech went down quite badly because she started calling out Labour. I was on the board of Scotland United and alas, I have to say as a board member of Scotland United, it failed. 
I remember that that first minister, our current first minister, making that speech in George Square. It was actually the weekend after the '92 election, and and it went down like a lead balloon. It was a hardline fundamentalist nationalist position, which was what Scotland United objected to, and Mike at that time objected to, and rightly so, in my view. In a way, I think you raise a really interesting point, Mandy, about the pre '97 position, because in some respects. That's where we are now. We've got a government in London that's intransigent, that's opposed to more powers, that's opposed to independence. And it'd be very interesting to know what Tories listening to this think, because they'll be laughing. They'll be delighted because they know that nothing's going to move forward. And it's great from their point of view to see this battle taking place. There is one crucial difference between now and pre-1997, and that is we have a Scottish Parliament. And while the Scottish Parliament may legally and in terms of sovereignty and all these silly things like that, which frankly most mature people studying politics know is a myth. But most people, one big difference with the Scottish Parliament is it has an authority, which of course was lacking. We just didn't have such an institution pre-1997. But for that to have enhanced authority, to make a difference, to be heard. It needs to be more than just SNP and Green members arguing for a mechanism to bring about change. They can agree as, you know, you would expect they should be able to agree on the mechanisms, on the democratic processes of allowing more choice while disagreeing on what they would want to have uh, in, in the event of a multi-option referendum. Until and unless that happens, you know, it will just be more of the same Lots of noise, um, lots of anger. And I think that's one of the things that, w- that explains the, the reaction to Chris Hamden, that incredible anger that spewed out after a kind of fairly modest proposal. We've really got to move on from that. And sadly, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And it really will take, I think, the main political parties, the SNP and the Labour Party, to swallow a wee bit of their pride and recognise, actually, there are options out there. And there's a group of people... A not insignificant group of people who are currently disenfranchised if it's a simple binary choice. Now, if you're so confident you can win, let's have that. I actually think there's a good chance independence might just win, even with those three options. I don't know what would happen. But, you know, let's not run away from democracy. Let's give people the choice. Well, I think we'll all come back together when Gordon Brown comes up with this exciting proposal and another major intervention. But just very, very quickly, Mike, when do you think there will be a referendum? When it is possible to have one in the circumstances that I've described, when you can actually have, when the people want one and when you can have that debate. But, you know, I just want to, I just want to say there's a great deal of what James says that I agree with. I, I agree that the major difference, and it's a very acute analysis as ever will come from him, that the major difference is the existence of that Scottish Parliament and the way in which that Scottish Parliament can influence this issue and bring its authority to bear upon this issue. And I think that that is something that the listeners to this podcast could take away as a sign of hope. You know, that certainly if that could happen, then you could have some progress. But on the basis that the people of Scotland have said they want to have a choice, and and we should give them that choice. But I, I, I don't disagree with James. I mean, I think the Parliament is, is a crucial issue in here. And I think uh, some imagination and thought about how that is applied would always be useful. I'm always grateful for a multi-option answer to the question of when will there be a... What's the date? <laughs> Neil, what do you think? Well, Mandy, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, I, I, I don't know the date of the referendum, but I'll tell you what will happen, I'll absolute guarantee. 
that prior to the council elections, we'll have a big announcement from the SNP telling us that we're on the march to independence again. Or, and then prior to, on the eve of the SNP conference, we'll have that again, as we've had in the last seven or so years. Because this is part of why this is all kind of fermenting, I think, that clearly um, the, 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 the different factions, groups within the, the, the whole independence movement uh, are, see, are very frustrated. We've seen Alba, we've seen people uh, like in the journalist sector, Neil Mackay, Ian McWhirter and others, Chris Hanlon, we're seeing, we're actually starting to see people like Fergus Ewan and Fergus Much speaking out about other issues. So there's clearly a pot bubbling there. And I think that's that frustration is starting to, to vent. Now, what does that mean for the terms and date of a referendum? Um, I don't know, but what it, what it might mean is that that um, that Stalinist um, sort of discipline within the uh, the SNP is starting to ebb away. Um, although I have to say, as long as this constitutional debate continues, it will not matter a jot. Nicola Sturgeon could could ask us to sacrifice our firstborn. And the polls wouldn't change. And that's the reality of it, because when you've got this constitutional debate going on, this is the dilemma you have in Scotland. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And this is where Labour have been completely deaf to the biggest issue facing their politics. They've ignored it for so long. And, and you know, madness is doing the same thing and expecting a different answer. The answer will be the same until this is resolved. Well, I think when the stars align, uh, are aligned, then, then that might happen. And I'm not sure when or if that will happen, if I'm honest. Um, and I think by that, I mean when the SNP, you know, the SNP throughout its history has gone through various phases of being very fundamentalist. And it's in the phase like that just now. I think it will come out of that. It will see sense eventually. And I have to say, Mike's contribution this morning gives me a wee bit of, of hope in that respect, because at least it was thoughtful and it was engaging and it engaged with some of these issues in a way that some of the SNP just didn't, you know, they're kind of idiot foolish stuff that came from a Scotch minister was, was really very worrying and, and, and utterly unhelpful. And, and, and I think actually some of the people who are saying that, that kind of fundamentalist element, are, are, is an element that's really relatively new to politics and hasn't been aware of it's the party's own history. Um, so I do think that will happen because, frankly, they will know in their hearts of hearts eventually that that's the only way they're going to get progress and they're going to get that referendum if you have that other option. The other star that's got to align, of course, is the Labour Party. And we've got to look to the Labour Party to actually deliver to us an option that's credible, that's worked out, and then we can have a debate. Now, in a way, what we're having in this discussion a lot of the time is a debate as to which is the best option. Let's have that debate. But if you, you know, it's kind of not going to make much sense to just have that debate unless it becomes meaningful and authoritative. And that requires that referendum. And that's where I think, you know, we need the stars to align. At the moment, it's not going to happen. And the one group in Scotland that are laughing, smiling, are the hardline unionists and people who are opposed to any change, whether that's constitutional, social or economic. Mm-hmm.